Stu Barnes would have been on that team. 10-9-8-7-6-5-4-3-2-1. Watch the goalie. That's Colzig. That's him in the back? Watch the shit. <laughs> oh, my God. You can see the moment he realizes what happens, eh? <laughs> Welcome to another 32 Thoughts, the podcast interview edition brought to you by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X. Today, Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets. Now look, we like talking to goalies. We probably don't do it as often as we should. They're on the ice all game. They see all. They think they know all. And if you ask them nicely, they'll tell all. And that's what we got with Hellebuck. A few things. He's written a mental health flip book for kids. It's really good. Called Weasel and Bucky. That's available at truenorthshop.com. We have a link for it in our show notes. Uh, he talks about why it was really important for him to write this book. We also talked about some of the hockey books he used to read as a kid. He grew up a Red Wings fan, so put those two things together. We talked about playing in Odessa. We talked about you know, the evolution of hockey gear. Which players annoy him the most in front of the net? Spoiler, the name Corey Perry does indeed come up. We talked about the 2017-18 Jets and their wonderful run. We talked about what the Jets look like this season from his point of view. A lot on Rick Bonus, his new head coach. We wonder about another Vesna trophy in Hellebuck's future. We talked about fishing with Dustin Bufflin. Man, do I miss Dustin Bufflin. And what he loves the most about playing in Winnipeg. Elliot and I sat down with Hellebuck last week at a downtown Toronto hotel. This was a day in advance of the Jets taking on the Maple Leafs. Now, a special thanks to Scott Brown of the Winnipeg Jets communications team for making this interview possible. Thank you, Scott. So without further, here's Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets on 32 Thoughts. I think you'll enjoy this one. Listen to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, ad-free on Amazon Music. Included with Prime. Connor Hellebuck, goaltender, author. Mental health flip books, they're called Is Something Wrong with Weasel and Bucky Beats the Blues, available online at True North Shop. Why do these? You know, it's important to continue the talks. When we first brought up this mental health, uh, it hit me so close to home because I'd like to think I have a very strong mental game. And... When I was growing up, I, I had to learn this, and I didn't even know this was like something that needs its own um, like title to it. I just figured I needed to get better at hockey, and this was part of it. But now we're all talking about mental health, and it's got its own title, and it's like there is a big ladder or a big tree that goes underneath this. And when I learned it, I had to go to multiple people. Um, my bubble. I had to go all my my parents. I had to go to all, everyone I trust, my advisors, and and now I'm looking back at the youth and, and I'm raising family myself and I'm thinking, let's continue these talks. So let's help the parents get ahead of this and improve as parents and help the, the next generation. All right. Before I forget, pick up the book. Maybe read us a page Okay, that really matters to you. How about I will – I'll read the first page. And this isn't even part of the story. This is just – very important for kids to know that there's there's more help out there. It, it says it was probably uh, supported by the the True North Youth Foundation Project Eleven, which is you know I have to give them uh, a plug. But, Rick Rippin. Yep. 
It says, if you are a kid who needs a grown-up to talk to, you can call the kid's help phone, and it lists the number there. So I think it's so important mm-hmm. that the kids, I mean, they might not even know this is an option, but now they do. And then we'll flip to the other side where it says, Bucky beats the blues. Um, the two stories, they come together and meet in the middle. And this side, the Bucky beats the blues, is kind of a little bit about my story, about how I learned. And my ideas kind of went to this one really important um, as I was growing up. Um, and I'll just I'll read, a, I'll read a page. I said, I'd like to tell you a little about my story. When I was a boy, I loved fishing. Sometimes I would go with my brother and sometimes with my grandfather. But my favorite person to go fishing with was my friend Joe. And from then on, it talks about how I had to, to mentally get over something that happened with me and Joe. And along the way, it kind of says how I learned. And then it passes it on to a next generation of a kid where I become the coach. And a kid is feeling down and sad and well, how I knew how to help him. Joe was your GM and goalie coach, right? <laughs> yes. He's used differently in this book. <laughs> yes. But yes, he was. Okay. And do you want to share that story at all? Like you can tell me if I'm probing too much here, but do you want to share that story at all? No, it's fine. Um, um, when, I, when I got to Odessa, he was a really big supporter of mine and um, he was working in the office and he was always a goalie guy. So he offered to help him become our goal, the goalie coach of the team. And right away, I just could tell, I could tell he was one of those guys that had my back all the time. And he would get on the ice, we'd do our thing, you know, goalie coaching. But what I really learned from him was off ice. After every game, he'd pull me aside and we'd go over the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it was so important to get that out because. I mean, they, they say, don't let your highs get too high, don't let your lows get too low. Although yeah. I'd argue, sometimes you want those highs to be high, feel it, and then cherish that and chase it. And But we'd go over that. So after every game, I'm not feeling down. I'm not beating myself up for two, three days. Now I'm having five minutes. Okay, let's beat myself up. And then what do I do from there? Where do we go? How do I get better? And then the next day, I'm coming back with, like I was telling you earlier, that building that confidence. Okay, I have something to work on today. I'm going to get better today, and I'm going to see improvement somewhere. So now I'm not just oh, hanging my head. Today's going to be a bad day because of yesterday. No, now I have a goal and something to work towards. There's something you said there that I think is very important for people to understand. That, and I agree with you that mental health can be taught. Like I think people they go up and they go down, and I, and that's normal. I don't think anybody's is a bad person or a weak person for having up days and down days. But I think myself in particular, as a young person, I was very soft mentally. And I think I'm much stronger now. Not perfect, but much stronger. But I think that's the key is because I tried to evolve it as a skill or something that you can, like for lack of a better term, a muscle, something that you can work up. So my question to you is how did you learn? How did you develop that skill because i think there's gonna be a lot of people listening who are gonna to want to know that yeah okay so and this is what makes my parents very crucial in this um when i was growing up we didn't get coddled if we needed some loving we got our loving but there was also a little bit of tough love you don't win a game or things don't go well well what are you gonna do about it can you get better where can you be better um how, how did you feel and what's realistic and things like that and that kind of helped me develop how to deal with failure and it's so important to to deal with failure because with failure comes success i don't think it's the other way around you don't succeed without it and let's just let's just take my hockey side of it just straight hockey side of it i get to juniors and i was undrafted and i didn't even know the path until my brother tried when i was in high school 
had a really bad high school year. And from there, I'm, what do I want to do about it? What am I going to do about it? I can sit here and complain all day, which that's good. I talk to my parents, I complain, get it out, and then it's, what are you going to do about it? And watch my brother go through it, kind of learn through him. So that's another skill, like learning through other people, which is so important. Started working really hard at my game and taking that failure and trying to make it into a success. And then when I got to juniors, I wasn't drafted. I got a call right after the draft, which was devastating to me because I thought maybe that was my chance. I just needed a, a little window, and I was going to take it as far as I could. And when I didn't, um, I had my moment. I was sad, and I got a call and said, you're going to main camp. I was like, well, I already know what to do. I'm going to go kill at main camp, and I'm going to prepare really hard for this. And without learning that before, I don't think I would have been as ready to go and what eventually became of what I am now. You know, I think it's, um, and we all believe this, it's really healthy to check in with yourself mentally, no matter where you're at, uh, how old you are, what you do for a living. For the purposes of this conversation, when it comes to, we'll focus on young hockey players specifically, is there something unique about the position of goaltending? We've talked on our podcast plenty of times about how, you know, we have the softest spot in our heart for goalie moms. Like you have not seen stress at an arena until you've sat next to a goalie mom when her son or daughter is starting. But is there something unique about that position when you're growing up? Defensemen can make mistakes and that's okay. Forwards can make mistakes and that's okay. A goalie makes a mistake and a light goes off and mm-hmm. on one team celebrates and the other team goes to the bench anything unique that you've noticed about that position and checking in with yourself mentally absolutely i think it's so important to do that and be realistic with yourself because let's be honest not a whole lot of people understand goaltending and until you are a goalie and go through the pressures of being a goalie mm-hmm. you don't know and if you don't go through you're saying like that checklist by yourself you try to rely on other people that don't really know, it's going to push you down the wrong street and get your mind wandering on things that shouldn't. And this is where being realistic is so important because you want to look at your game and you want to analyze where you failed. And if you can then be realistic, like, okay, I failed here and why? Mm -hmm. Then instead of it being, oh, I'm not good enough, now it's, oh, now I have something to get better at. And I think that's where you really become the next step and the next level is is you're not always knocking yourself down. Now you're starting to build a little confidence because mm-hmm. then you see in your game where you failed and where not no now you're no longer failing. And that's where you start to get a little confidence. Like, okay, now I can do this and now I'm going to add this. And then you see your game kind of come together. And, I mean, this happens every year from the start to the end. I mean, it's micro at the NHL sure. level, but it makes a huge difference. You know, one of the, the interesting things about this position Normally in a lot of sports, you want to be on the top team because that means you're the best player or best players. Goaltending is unique in that growing up, you don't necessarily want to be on the top team. Sure, you're going to get 20 shutouts a year, but you're only going to face four or five shots in those games. You're not going to be in as many competitive games as someone who's in the middle of the pack, on a middle of the pack team, or even a lower, uh, you know, down the, the hockey ladder type of team. The value of being in the middle when it comes to a goaltender is what for you? Because I think that that means the world for a young kid. Yeah, absolutely. One, you have more fun when you're getting more shots and Mm -hmm. pucks on you. And two, I always, whenever I talk about other goalies, I use this word, they have the knack for making saves. And I think that's where it gets developed. If you're 
on a really good team, you're not getting the amount of pressure, you might lose out on the the knack, which is just reading the play differently or just having that natural instinct of, oh, I, I knew he was going to go there or I thought he was going to do there, so I, I did it and, it. and it worked. And on the other side of that, you have to learn where it doesn't work. And yeah. that's what's so important. Um, you see all these goalies come up and they're so clean cut and their games are like perfect. But then when it comes to that instinct, they give up a few extra goals here and there. Right. And you can tell they're good goalies. They can do it. But they just haven't They haven't failed enough at that point to really know when they need to go and when they don't need to go, if that makes sense. What makes you angry now? Like one of your teammates told me that you have a look. And when you have that look, nobody wants to go anywhere near you. So, <laughs> so what, what's, what, what's that look and what brings it out? Oh, I think I know the look. Do it's, you want to give it for the camera? Yeah, <laughs> there's no way I could do camera. it unless I actually felt it. Um, I, I think it's when I have a practice and I'm a little tired and I'm trying to work on something and I just physically can't and I can't do it. And I'm getting beat a few times and it, it's not I'm mad at everyone else. I'm mad at myself for failing a little bit. You know, you, you do get those sad and anger feelings when you fail a little bit, but I think at this point, when that happens, I can kind of sit back and be like, okay, today was bad, but what can I learn from it? So the look always comes with hopefully a smile in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that get you angry, I always love asking goaltenders this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you hate it when you hear guys like me and Elliot say things on television like, he'd like to have that one back? <laughs> Yeah, that's probably the worst thing you could say, <laughs> especially with a goaltender in the room, um, just because you never know what went through his head. You never know. Yeah. I mean, everything else in the game could have made him have a different read, or maybe there was a cross screen or a slightly tipped puck that we didn't pick up on TV. Like So many little things go into sometimes what a bad goal might look like is just sometimes that stuff happens. This is the NHL, and that's... A good portion of it. When we watch, uh, like I was a goaltender until I was 16. And then when I didn't get drafted, I quit. Like that was my hockey story. And by the way, I would like to say if I could do it all over again, I would play goal. You would. I love, I did, I did it. I did it in university for a team that was going to get disqualified from the league if they had one more goalie that missed a game. (laughs) So I played a couple (laughs) games and I loved it. It was fun. I loved it. Did you like getting hit with the puck? Yes. Did it hurt? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but you know what? I was, a, like I said, I was, when I was younger, I was not strong mentally and it didn't allow me to become as good a player as I could potentially have been. But at that point in my life, I was much more prepared for it and I loved it. Yeah. I mean, there's some glory to it. The worst part is you're alone on an island. Thank God now we have goalie coaches and your goalie partner that also knows exactly what you're in. But um, as they're making the gear smaller, that was really difficult because now the puck started hurting a little bit more and mm-hmm. the look that you have developed now looks insane. Like for me, I had just developed a really good structure. I put that new chest pad on and my hands felt like they were alone. There's no more arm into them. And it was hard mentally to get over that because now I'm starting to re... I'm, well, A, I'm trying new chest pads to, to try to make the pucks not hurt as bad. And um, I'm trying to re gather that structure that I just developed and it was tough. I heard you were very vocal about the changes. You were on the competition committee, correct? I am. Yes. So you, and I heard you were very vocal, like 
Can you take us through some of those conversations? Because I heard you were unafraid to give your opinion. Yeah, well, I don't like just a bunch of complaining. If I'm going to complain, I might as well do something about it. And I saw that as my route to do something about it. And I understand why they made all these changes. What I was vocal about was give us some time with them. They gave it to one goalie. I think it was Schneider, Corey Schneider. And and he was trying them, and, and it was okay for him. But then all these other brands, they need time to develop theirs, um, and we need time to adjust. I just thought I thought it was pushed too fast, and I was just being vocal about how. And I know I'm not the only one that said the pucks are starting to hurt. Like, give us some time to work out the kinks. And Kay Whitmore is really good about okaying modifications, which I had to do on my chest pad. I had to add a little bit of layer of air in between. And that helped a lot. But I think a lot of that could have been done before we were forced into it. That makes sense. How many goalies were calling you and saying, Connor, don't back down, don't back down, don't back down? <laughs> you know, the goalie union, you'd be surprised. We don't we don't all talk, but we all think alike. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need those calls. I kind of knew they were, they were thinking it. Who is the biggest complainer goalie? Give it up. <laughs> Who is the biggest complainer goalie? On the ice? Or just maybe when it comes to this stuff, the equipment. Oh, I, I mean, I, I'd have to say myself just because I don't know everyone. Um, <laughs> but at least I'm doing something about it. <laughs> um, you saw Jake Ottinger last week trying to pull the mask off. I saw that. What went through your mind? I think it's important. But what stinks is because, A, you don't want to just pull it off and get that penalty. Some refs will realize how dangerous that is to have a clip off or even two clips off, which is even more dangerous. I think the refs need to see when it clips off. They need a chance to blow it dead. And then we'll know, leave it on, because the ref is looking for a whistle. That's what I think about that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that can be done about the clips? Like, we look at the, like, the technology of every piece of equipment. Can that be changed at all in your estimation? I mean, maybe a little bit. But I think the exploding off is part of the impact. So when a, mm-hmm. when a helmet gets hit, mm-hmm. it takes the impact, and then those explode, and the helmet comes up in a way which helps take the uh, the impact from one spot to just yep. spread it out over the area. So I think it's important that they still come off. But there could be a, a spot where that comes off and then something else holds them on. So at least mm-hmm. they're there and your helmet won't just tip off, but then it still will shimmy around on your eyes. And it's not good for goaltending. <laughs> Who's the player that gives you the most trouble? Bumps you the most? Hacks you the most? When you look at him, you say... I can't believe this SOB gets away with this stuff. It's probably two or three guys. It's like Corey Perry's one. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Shocking, mm-hmm. yeah. Always around the net, just doing dumb stuff to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably thinking it's great. Um, Jamie Benn, he's good in front of the net. He's always in there, too, right on that edge. And Chuck. Both of them, Which I assume, or, or Matthew, I guess. We'll, we'll throw both of them in there. <laughs> <laughs> a question about how you think about one thing and has it changed. When you're playing net and a puck hits the goal post, do you think in your mind, wow, that almost went in, or I have my position, that shot's wide? Usually when I get a post rang on me, right as the puck's going by me, I kind of know it's not on that. And when it hits the post, I'm kind of a little bit surprised because I kind of know where my frame is and mm-hmm. and if a puck's going to beat me. I know it before it gets by me that it's got a chance on net. So when that happens, it's just, I 
know it's either not in the net or just a perfect shot where you have to tip your cap. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Jets a little bit this year. I don't know what you expected, but I think we all recognize this team is for real. What did you expect? That word, expect, or expectations. Last year we came in with some expectations. We made some moves, and it killed us. And I'm at the point in my career I have learned that expectations are not good. So I come in with no expectations. My only thought is I'm going to come in and try to be the best I can possibly be and steal every game. Crazy unrealistic, but if I go in like that, I'll achieve some part of that. Yeah, we came in with a bunch of expectations, and then things just weren't going well, and it just crumbled us. Where this year, we were crumbled, and we came in ready to prove ourselves, ready to fight. And um, and the new coaching staff, we were all so ready to buy in. And I think everything has just been a, a perfect storm coming together. When did you notice it was different, that there was something that was going to work? You know, day one, right when I showed up, you could tell everyone was happy to be there, excited about this year. Um, ready to fight and ready to prove that what we did last year was wrong, that it was just a fluke or an off year. And you could get the feel around the locker room. Everyone had a little chip on their shoulder for it. Further to that, we all wondered what the offseason was going to be like for Winnipeg. And sure, there was a coaching change, but we wondered if this team was going to look radically different for this season. Did that go through your mind at the end of last year? A little bit, but... And I told this to our GM, I, I think sometimes when you do make some moves, it takes a little bit of time to adjust. Um, you see that around the league, sometimes that does happen. Mm-hmm. And I could see it with our team because we, we knew we had talent. We all knew. We talked about it all year. We have the talent. Um, mm-hmm. we, we were just missing a piece, and I think the new coaching staff helped bring that together. And, and now we all wanted to play a certain way, and I think the new coaching staff is holding us to the level that we want to play at. What was the piece? Was it the coach, or do you think it was something else? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be. I, I love our new coach. He's he, he's really – he protects his goalies well. Um, he cares about us a lot. He knows that we go through a lot of stress. But not only that, he holds us accountable to the way we want to be held accountable. And that's the big part about our why our room's so good is we really want to be held accountable. And he does. And he puts in a system that we all were already ready to play. We all wanted to play and buy into. And and that's why I said, I think it's kind of a perfect storm because he comes in and, and brings the message that we want to hear. And now we're all on board and ready to do that. How does he hold you accountable personally? Well, goalie's different because I have my goalie coach. And I was wondering, does, he, does Wade do it or does Rick do he, it? Wade, Wade does. Okay. And what I like about Rick is his open line conversation always. And he'll always tell me like I like the way you battled tonight or tomorrow's gonna be a better one and then he kind of leaves the goalie stuff to flats to Wade um, mm-hmm. and that's I mean at this point we know how how much we care about our game and how much we analyze and and when to stop over analyzing and when to work and so we have a really good system down and we know how to bring my a game and at that point you just don't want to get in the way you ever think about the Vesna trophy yeah sometimes what do you think well, I have one. I know, but you know that's the thing. When you get one. You know, one, to hold up books, you have to yeah. have two, right? Unless you use a wall. Well, here, here's the thing with it. 
I made an outrageous claim when I was younger saying I'm going to win a, a Vezina Stanley Cup. And I truly believed it. Is it outrageous? I don't think so. But I'm sure mm-hmm. other people thought mm-hmm. it was at the time. But now that I have it, at this point, it would just be another piece. Um, I have one goal left, and that's to win a Stanley Cup. Would it be nice to win another Vezina? Yeah, it'd be great. If I don't, it's not going to kill me. I'm, I'm going after one thing, and my focus is all on that. What do you remember about 2018? Like, I remember the streets. It just like the games would start, and there'd be people lined up a mile long on those streets outside the rink. What do you remember about that run? I remember a, a few things. Um, we had a really good bonding experience in Vegas, and that really helped our team take the next step. And then throughout that year, it was we played pretty much the same way every single night. And if the guys got tired, then I would have a really good night. And then they would get right back on the same system, the same way. And once we got on that flow, we felt like we couldn't be beat. And we got into playoffs, and the streets were going crazy, and the fans were going nuts. Like, on, a, on, the, on the next level, I've never seen our crowd get like that. That was And you have peak. a great crowd. And we have a great crowd. And they were on another level. And we were rolling, and then we got into Minnesota, and we just steamrolled them. And it just felt like we could not be beat. And then we got in that Nashville series, and that was just so exciting because there was two heavy-hitting teams that both belonged going on. And we were just back and forth, comebacks left and right, winning on the road constantly and getting their crowd. Their crowd's a good crowd, too. So we go from our amazing crowd to their amazing crowd, and it was just every night it was relentless. And then we go to a game seven where we pull through, and it was like a breath of like a release. Two days later, we're back at it against <laughs> Vegas, and then we steamrolled them game one. And from that moment, I think every single person in that locker room was like, okay, we, could, we can win a cup here. And then the unthinkable happened. You know, I, I, I want to talk about the good things about that. One of your teammates said that – in the warm-up in Game 7 against Nashville, they were nervous. And they said there was one guy who wasn't nervous. And thank God for us, it was the guy in the net. And there were guys who said after warm-up that you were not going to let them lose that game no matter what happened. What do you remember about that warm-up? I don't know if it was just the warm-up. I think it was just the presence around the rink. I felt really good in that series, and I felt really good in that game going into that game. And, that, and that, that was built from the start of the year. All the confidence and the structure and everything was built. So when I was in playoffs, I was just no longer am I analyzing my game. Now I'm just showing up and giving it my all and battling so hard where I knew I wasn't going to fail. And I think the guys felt that on me. I mean, they played that great system, and, and they just were relentless on it. And when you know what to expect, it makes your life so much easier. It makes your game so much easier. Is that the way it is now? That is the way it is now. Granted, we're only halfway through the year, so we're still ironing out some minor details, but I kind of know what to expect now. And I can see it coming, and I can get ahead of it, and it helps a ton. That's awesome. I get chills listening to this. I'm ready for the playoffs to start now. Be an inspirational speaker. But you think about that when the, when the career wraps up. You, you got up. a library here. Uh, I, I do. And and before I get to the, these books, I want to get your thoughts on, on hockey books growing up in, in general. 
whenever I'm asked, and Elliot and I have talked about this before, you know, who do we wish was still in the NHL? I always say Dustin Bufflin. <laughs> I miss that guy. Uh, I miss watching him play. I mean, he's a former teammate. I'm sure you got a, a million stories. When I say the name Dustin Bufflin to you, I mean, the relationship between goaltender and defenseman is a pretty big one and profound one. But when his name pops into your head, what goes through your mind? You know, I do miss the guy. Um, I keep in touch with him. Oh, yeah? We're, How we're, is he? You know, we both fish. So we're You're like buddies. the one guy he talks to. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> talks to a little bit. Talks to Bufflin's Yeah, stuff. yeah. Um, he's doing well. He's doing well. Um, his family's great, and um, he's enjoying himself, and he's he's happy. Did you ever ice fish with Dustin Bufflin? Uh, he got me into it. Oh, you got to tell us about this. Yeah, so I was always a bass fisherman, and... Um, when I first came to the league, I was young, and he knew I liked fishing, so he'd invite me out ice fishing, and he'd make me wake up at 5 a.m. and get out there, which, sure, I love it now, but at the time, I didn't know that was a thing, and for ice fishing, I just figured, go whenever, it's the same thing, you know, the fish don't, don't see through the ice, but um, we get out there, and we just, it would be so relaxed, we'd just be hanging out and over a hole and out in nature, breathing in fresh air and watching the sun come up, and something very calming about that and now i realized how important it was to us to get out there and just get away from hockey and and free our minds what would you guys talk about oh man a lot of fishing (laughs) (laughs) that's the best part about it you go fishing you talk fishing and you just park all the hockey talk just like just leave it park it away and maybe once in a while it pops up but really it's just getting your mind off of it talking fishing and his, his buddies that he'd bring out and we just chat with them and just make each other laugh and have a good time. What's the wildest thing you saw him do on the ice? Like we saw big things out of it. Like that's the thing about Dustin Bufflin. Like everything he did was, you know, larger than life and big goals and rushes and checks and like all of it. Is there one that stands out for you? Yeah. And you won't have any recollection of this because this was during a, um, a skills competition. For the Jets, they just do their own skills competition every yeah, year. Night. And we went fishing that morning. We came back, um, went home, and then we went to the skills competition. It was around 7 o'clock. And we did a shootout, and we brought in two contestant-winning goalies. And they're younger kids, um, teenagers. And he comes down for a penalty shot, pushes the puck forward, puts his stick in one hand, kind of uses his back as leverage and just one tees it with his one hand and it goes elbowing in and it was the greatest penalty shot i've ever seen <laughs> of all time is there video of this somewhere <sighs> do you think there is <laughs> and it came out of nowhere he was just nonchalant coming down and then pulls that out and everyone's jaw just dropped wow <laughs> yeah. i miss dustin bufflin all right the book so this is the first hockey book I we're talking about books here, Connor. This is the first hockey book I ever got. It's a Peter Puck book. Love that hockey game with Brian McFarlane. I treasure this like crazy. This one is a book written by a goaltender and coach and manager and uh, Emil the Cat Francis who wrote this one. Interesting section about how to play goal. I remember reading this as a kid like crazy. Were there any hockey books that you remember growing up that were like? I'll really, I mean, I'm dating myself here with, you know, Peter Puck and Cat <laughs> Francis, but any hockey books that uh, that you were drawn to as a kid? Maybe when you're first starting to play goal? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, it's hard for me to remember all the books, but there's sure. one that sticks out, and it was a recap of the 98 season and playoffs for the Detroit Red Wings. Yep. 
Yeah, it was when they beat Washington. Yep. And um, there was also a video of the whole playoffs. And that was like a hype video, and it was awesome. I watch that all the time. But the book, you could actually open it up and read little things. And I don't think they do this enough these days. Is They like documented some of the players of what they were saying and or a few interviews and how the season was going and how games were going. And it would give you a little piece of every game and a little piece of parts in the season where they were. And then they would just throw the team together and celebrations or goals. And it was just a really cool mix of pictures. And you kind of knew what the team went through. And I know they probably put what they wanted in there, but it was awesome to, to read that as a kid. So growing up, I was a big Mike Palmatier fan. Just like an enormous Mike Palmer. I thought he was like the coolest goaltender in the world. I still think that, to be honest with you. Who was your guy when you were a kid? And Connor Halle, young Connor Hallibuck. Oh, this guy is the best. Who's that guy? It was Olaf Kolzig. You guys look like you could be brothers. Like I'm sitting here looking at you right now. <laughs> Kolzig kind of looked like you when he played. Yeah, I can see that. We're same-ish descent. <laughs> Belgian descent-ish around that area, right? The, fe- the, the feathers and the beard. The, the feathers uh, and the beard. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, um, watching that hype video, I, I got to see at the end where they talked about Olaf Kolzig and how he got him there. and It's like, wow, this is awesome. And then you start seeing more things about him. I start collecting his hockey cards and I actually have a pad card of him. And little things like that, you just you cherish so close when you're a kid, right? Oh, yeah. And were there any other goalies that you were huge fans of? Oh, all the Detroit goalies, the Chris yeah. Osgood, the Dominic Hasek. Not so much Mike Vernon, just because I didn't really follow him as much when he was there. Mm-hmm. But the Osgood and the and the Hasek were, and even a little bit of Cujo. We got a cu- little bit of Cujo in there. Mm-hmm. And those three guys, I just, hard to not enjoy watching them. So one of the stories like I told about you that made me laugh was how you were told you were going to quit tobacco. <laughs> Did someone like take the can and like throw it out, like grab it from you and like throw it over a wall or something like that? And oh, who'd you get this from? I'm not telling you that. <laughs> I know exactly you got this from. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> just leave it at that. Well, I, I was gonna say like the story I got told was, and like I'm not passing judgment or anything like that. We all have our things. We got a break and. Uh, and uh, someone saw you uh, chewing tobacco one day and grabbed the can and threw it and said, <laughs> that's it, you're done doing that, not anymore. Is that the way it kind of went? Uh, yeah, a little bit, but um, <laughs> he was one of the people I trust before he did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you gotta have you got to have a few people. This goes back to mental health. you got to have a few people you trust and, and you can bounce ideas and you're comfortable with calling them at any hour and any moment and just, hey, I need to talk. And then from there, you can kind of figure out what the next course of action is. This sort of circles back to a conversation we had 15, 20 minutes ago, and that is the nature of a goal and people like Elliot and I watching a game or analysts on TV analyzing a game from an NHL goalie's perspective. What's a good goal and what's a bad goal? Like what is a goal where we should look at and go, ah, maybe that is one that he should have had. And what's one that's like, no one's stopping that shot. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough from your shoes because you don't really know what we went through. I could tell you as a goalie, I know what's a bad goal and what's a good goal. I've seen no goalie likes getting a 99% of a puck and it still goes in. Mm. Does that happen? Yes. But I think those are the ones who are like, ah, should have had that one. That could be kind of a bad goal. It's like in baseball, if you can touch it, you can catch it. Right? Exactly. But even, like, I still do this in my career. I'll let in a bad goal and then we'll win the game 2-1 or 3-2. 
did my job. Yeah, I let in a bad goal, but I stopped all the ones that should have went in. Mm-hmm. So when we say bad goal, sometimes it's okay. It's not bad. It's just how do you respond? What is your favorite kind of save to make? What one are you like? Oh yeah, toe up, glove up, toe up, toe up, toe up, glove up. Mm-hmm. If you can get that heel planted in the ice, <laughs> you got a good beat on that puck, and you're probably making a nice glove save with a windmill. <laughs> How many times do you put a little extra on it for the cameras? Oh, I don't like put extra. I think it's a little <laughs> cocky, and that's when it bites in the butt. Yeah. Maybe a little bit, though. <laughs> <laughs> got to be a goal. I got to enjoy it a little bit. You were saying before we were talking that you used to chirp people, but it always backfired on you. Give us an example. Well, I don't really have exact examples because as I was growing up, I would just say a little something here, say something there. Or or if I skate with a guy in the summer, I would tell him I'm going to own him. And then what do you know? He scores on me. So mm-hmm. now I kind of take the, the nice guy approach. Yeah, yeah, you're having a good game. And hopefully that karma comes back to me and I make a save that I shouldn't have. <laughs> um, finish this sentence. I hate when blank scores on me. Anyone. I hate when anyone <laughs> scores on <laughs> There's me. There's not one player in the NHL like, ah, oh, this guy. No, I, at this point, I go in every game trying for a shutout. And I was like this in juniors too. And, and this is what Joe kind of helped me with. He's like, keep that, but be realistic with that. Mm. So I just hate when any time goal goes in period and then when anytime you give up uh, three or four the odds aren't great and you winning of that game so three and four hurt a little bit more than one mm-hmm. and two i guess the the, la- the last one i, I kind of wanted to ask you connor was just about you know you said something very interesting before that this team reminds you of 2018 and you're playing a certain way and you know where the sh- where everything's coming from and you're you're very confident uh, about this group, how much harder is it to win now in the NHL than when you first got here? Yeah, I think it's the power of analytics and, and and video. And not only that, guys are just so much more keen on working on their game. I think the, the skill gap is so minimal. So any team, even a, a team with a bad record, is still a good team. At this point, it becomes who's got who's playing the right way, and whose details are right, and who's sacrificing a little more, blocking shots, sacrificing a, a good offensive play to make a good defensive play. I think little things like that pay huge dividends, and I think that has led to our success. Is we're giving up a little bit offense for defense, but by doing that, we're gaining some offense too. Um, we're just focusing our end a little bit more, and we're realizing that we can still get offense from that as well. Last one. The best thing about Winnipeg is? The ice fishing. <laughs> it's great <laughs> ice fishing. Lake Winnipeg is well known for great greenback walleye, and it lives up to its name. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. That's not what I would have expected, but that is a <laughs> great <good>. answer. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for this. Thanks a lot. Good luck with the thanks, book. Guys. Thanks. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Really hope you enjoyed that interview with Connor Hallibuck. The full video of the interview will be available Thursday the 26th. You can look for that on our Sportsnet YouTube channel. And we'll continue with our 32 Thoughts pop-up series with the Hallibuck interview. Those were a lot of fun. Taking us out are four beat makers from Brixton who aren't afraid to challenge what pop music sounds like. 
Bamily has a DIY approach to their music making process, and each of the producers brings their own skill set to the band. From their debut EP, Family with a B, here's Bamily with Little Brother on 32 Thoughts, the p p podcast. You are 12, you can kick, flip, and grind. You've got so many skills I didn't have when I was your age. Just you wait, you're gonna drop ice nine. 